If uh, I hope everybody's doing good. I know some kids have left already, but uh, if there are kids that are still here, uh, Jessica is going to take them back to the uh, kids um, area. Thank you, kids, for leading the way in our alabaster offering. And uh, we're excited about that and what we have. Man, thank you, Kurt, also for explaining and describing all of it. And it's pretty neat that all of the people or the, the church that we saw, that people from our church were using alabaster funds that we collect. You know, it's not only our church, it's every church of the Nazarene is doing this. So pretty cool that that happens and we all get to share in that. And we do it twice a year, February and August. And we have these little boxes here. And uh, if you're like at our house, Sarisa keeps one by the laundry. And um, actually, I, 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 don't, I mean, I know she keeps it there, but we have a rule in our house when the kids turn 10, they do their own laundry. So... Um, all the kids are doing their own laundry now, so I don't know if we get quite as much change as we did once upon a time because they probably collect their own change. But you know how the laundry machine washes those quarters and nickels and dimes out. So anyway, um, and then Jason had a great point, pointed that out about the uh, Joseph of Arimathea. You guys remember the story about him whenever uh, Jesus had been crucified and died. And if you read that in Mark, like he said, um, whenever Jesus... Um, body came off. Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body and he was risking his reputation, but it was because he was interested in the kingdom of God. He risked everything because he was only interested in the kingdom of God. And here we are with an opportunity to uh, learn about, hear about, talk about what this kingdom is. So I'm going to recap a little bit about last week. We're just starting this series of messages called Kingdom Business. And I would encourage all of you to um, uh, there are several, or I say several, sometimes there's a key series of messages that we do. Last summer would be, um, I mean, I think all of them are important, but last summer especially foundational to what uh, we as a church believe and what we're going through. There was a lot of speak about love and that, that was last summer. And then uh, this series of messages about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? How do we go about dealing with it? H how have we understood his kingdom and what it is? And that's, what, that's where the uh, podcast and the, uh, the videos that we have on our website are super important. You can go back, you can listen, you su can subscribe to the podcast. And it gets put up every Monday or Tuesday where you have the um, ability to listen again to the message. And it's not about me speaking or how smart I am. This is all things God is bringing to us and walking us through. And I think we do this together. So, um, But last week we talked a little bit about uh, how many of us are really good at being religious. And we decided that the world doesn't really need more religious people, but people who are interested in the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God. And that's what we've been talking about in this kingdom business. So Jesus came with a message and somehow over 2000 years, and this happens sometimes, I think we need a, like a course correction a little bit, but I think the message got messed up. The language that Jesus used would have been familiar with those who are around him. And uh, Jesus always talked about this realm. He talked about the kingdom, a realm and where um, there was no junk where there was no small-minded things, where there was no sin, where there was nothing petty. He called this place that he talked about all the time the kingdom of God. And he talked about it obsessively all of the time. And I don't know, I hope that as we're talking about this, you go back and review Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and everything that Jesus talked about and look at the number of times he says, let me tell you the good news 
about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. As we dig into this, by the way, a great resource for you is our, um, the sermon notes for today's message, and they'll be in the church's app. Just go to the church's app and find the place for the sermon notes there. Um, and remember, the kingdom of God, we don't use the word kingdom very much anymore, unless you're at my house, and that house is Cerise's kingdom, my wife. Um, you know, and it's where what she says goes, right? And that's the way Jesus tried to describe it. The kingdom of God is the sphere in which what God says goes, where everything that happens, and I love this, I love saying it this way, everything that happens in his kingdom meets with his approval and his delight. And that is the kingdom of God. And so that's his kingdom. Now we live in another realm, and this realm is called the kingdom of earth. The problem with the kingdom of earth is that it is pretty messed up. Um, so Jesus, what he wants to do is he wants to bring his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, down to the kingdom of earth, to our realm. And that's how he taught us to pray. He said, our father in heaven, you remember that, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In other words, he's teaching us to pray. And we said this last week, God, let what happens up there happen down here and let it happen in my life. And let it happen where I go. And the way that happens is because I am the one who is bringing that. So to find out what this kingdom is like, all we really have to do is look at Jesus. How did he live? What was his good news? I can tell you that his good news or gospel, remember we talked about that the word gospel means good news. Jesus' gospel was not, here are the minimum entrance requirements for heaven. I think that that's how we speak about it sometimes is here's, here's how you go to heaven. In fact, um, and I'm not saying that's bad, nor is it wrong. It is good news that we get to go to heaven when we die. Amazing news. It's wonderful. Millions and millions of people across the years have been saved by the promise of heaven when they die. Perfected bodies and uh, a glorious life in the presence of God our Father. It's amazing, and I'll never take away from that. But I think that when we talk about heaven in terms of the minimum entrance requirements to get there, that's not what Jesus presented as his good news. That was a part of what Jesus presented, but it was just one part. So Jesus is always talking about this kingdom, and he taught us to pray, uh, let what happens up there happen down here. His good news is living in God's kingdom is available today. And it is available to you and to me and to anybody who would seek it. And so as we go along, we're going to continue to explore this over the next several weeks. But um, today I want to talk about what it means to be desperate for his kingdom. Jesus felt like when people really understood what that looked like, they would be willing to do anything to be a part. Jesus really believed that people would be so excited about this kingdom of God, that they would be willing to do anything to be a part of it. Last week, we talked about his kingdom breaking into different realms, into our lives, into the life of the community that you live in, into the life of this church, into the world around us. We talked about what that might look like. And Jesus said, if people really figure this out, they're going to be willing to do anything to be a part of that. And so, I'm not just making that up. He told stories like it. He told stories about desire. In fact, a lot of his stories are about desire. So let's look at Luke chapter 15, excuse me, verses 8 through 10. And this is what he says. Imagine a woman 
who has ten coins and loses one, won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors. Celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the, mess, that's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. It's a, it's a, a story of excitement and, and desire. And he told like the lost son. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. A son who was gone and came back. Or... Um, the wedding banquet in Matthew chapter 22, where uh, he talks about wedding banquets, things that people wanted more than anything in life. I want to focus on two stories today in Matthew chapter 13 to illustrate that once a person understands his kingdom, they're willing to do anything to be a part. And in Matthew 13, I won't read through the whole thing, but you might remember these stories. He said the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in the field. And in his excitement, he went and sold everything that he owned. And he buried that treasure again, and he bought that field. And I said last week, that's not a story of real estate acquisition. It's that when somebody finds something that they really want, they will do anything to get it. Right? How many bought the new iPhone 13? Just came out? Anybody buy the new one? You don't have to raise your hand. Your, your spouse maybe didn't know, so keep that... <laughs> Bruno's in trouble. So um, um, the, the iPhone 13 just came out. I mean, most of us can't afford $1,000 for a new phone, right? But because we want that phone so badly, we'll do anything. And iPhone, Apple makes it easy, like trade your old phone in and we're going to give you all this money and all that. But the thing is, is when we find something we really want, we do a lot of things to get there and to get it. Uh, there's another story about a pearl merchant. You might remember this one. Um, he was on the lookout for choice pearls, and then he found a pearl of great value, and he sold everything he owned so he could have that pearl. It's the story of the pearl of great price. And that's a story about the kingdom of God, about up there coming down here and setting the world right. Jesus used these earthly kind of stories to illustrate how deeply these things run in our hearts. And, and just stay with me because you're going to understand a little more. Let's look at the, what that looks like today. When Sreesa and I were engaged, um, I don't know, many of you probably know that we got engaged. Uh, she lived, we both were from Midland, so she stayed in Midland. But I became a youth pastor and I moved to Grand Prairie just down the road. I lived in Arlington and worked in Grand Prairie. And um, I convinced my pastor to once a month, and did not count on my vacation time. He was a nicer pastor than me. <laughs> once a month, I would, on Wednesday night after youth group, I would get in the, my truck and I would drive it to Midland and stay there and then Saturday drive home. So I would be back to church for Sunday. And I, I did this uh, once a month. And then also once a month, I would buy Sarisa a plane ticket. She would fly from Midland to, um, you know, Dallas, and then I would pick her up. We would spend the weekend together, and that sounds bad. She stayed with somebody else, just so you know, <laughs> but she was, she was in town for the weekend, and we would get to see each other and all of that, and then she would fly back. So Jesus would tell a story like this, to what can I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a young man 
who was so anxious to see his fiance that he would drive through the night and risk everything that he has, including his sleep, so that he can spend just a few moments more with the woman that he loves. That's the story about the kingdom of God. That's a story about desire. Here's another one. Um, I've told a few times about Caden. When he was born, he spent his first 10 days of life, of, of life in the NICU, uh, neonatal in, in, intensive care. It was a hard time for us. He was born, and as he was being born, his lung collapsed. And so it was a touch-and-go thing for us. And, you know, the doctors wouldn't even give us a, like, yeah, we think he's going to make it. They were like, I don't know, man. Like, I can't give you a percentage. This doesn't look good. It was a scary time. Teresa had had a C-section, major surgery, right? I mean, that's a pretty big kind of a, a, a surgery to have. And I'll never forget. So he was born in Midland at a hospital in Midland. Odessa is about, the hospital is about 20 miles away. They took him to the Odessa hospital, which had a great uh, NICU. And in the um, hospitals, they wanted Teresa to stay for three days. The day after Caden was born, she, told, she checked herself out of the hospital. Against medical advice. That's big words, right? Against medical advice. And we, took, we got my dad's camper. We borrowed his camper. We didn't have one at the time. And we parked it in the parking lot like you see some people do in the hospital. And Sarisa went. And I felt, bless her heart, I felt so bad. But something about a mother's love of their newborn baby, she was just didn't care. Only stitches. It wasn't even a scar yet. Holding her together. And she stayed in that camper so she could be that much closer to her baby. Couldn't do anything there. She just was closer. Jesus would tell a story like this. To what can I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a mother who loves her newborn son so much that she will risk permanent injury and spend that much time to be closer to her newborn infant son and stay in a camper and all of the pain and discomfort that it causes because she loves him that much. That's what I can compare the kingdom of God to. Something about desire. And you all know what I'm talking about. When you really want something, when you really want something, you're going to do anything it takes to get it. How about one more? You getting this? This is fun. I like these stories. Uh, to what can I compare the kingdom of God? How many of you are eager to go to the licensing office when it's time to renew your driver's license? I had to do it this year, by the way. Um, it's the first time in a while. I think I told you around my birthday, July 12th, by the way, if you're keeping notes. I, uh, I remember this year was one of the times that they made me go into the office. Usually the last several times you just do it through the mail, renew. And they were like, oh, wait a minute. You're getting to the age that we're going to make you come in. Which, by the way, I went in and they were like, mm, we're not sure about your eyes. I was like, really? Me neither. Yeah, you probably need to see an eye doctor. We're going to pass you this time, but... Anyway, so I, I went in. But when we think about the licensing office, like what a drudgery that place is. You know what I mean? Like you go in and you have to wait in line and, and now you have to schedule the appointment. And I scheduled an appointment, but there were no appointments before my uh, actual birthday. And so it was several weeks after my birthday that I could get in. And um, I, I found out later I could have gotten in trouble for that. I didn't know. I was like, well, it's not my fault that I can't get in in time, you know. It's the state of Texas' fault. So they didn't care. But I um, scheduled my appointment, went in, and I still had to wait in line. I was sitting in that chair for like two hours. But every once in a while, you're standing in that place, 
And a young adult will come skipping into the license office, just as excited as they can be to wait in that line, because this is the day that they're going to get their driver's license. Usually that person is around 16 years old and very excited to be there. To what can I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a young person who submits themselves to the rules of the road and to an older person bossing them around and stand in line at the DPS office for days on end. And they do it with joy because they're passing from the kingdom of pedestrians into drivers. It's a story about desire. And when somebody finds that that's something that they want, they're willing to do nearly anything to be a part. So Jesus would tell these same kind of stories. And he believed that when people really understood it, they would be willing to do anything to be a part of it. Now, here's the rub. Are what people seeing about his kingdom causing them to have such desire that they are willing to give up everything to join his kingdom? Are we presenting his kingdom in such a way that people want to be a part of that? Back to the story about the buried treasure. Some people focus on the negative about him selling everything for this little piece of land. But that's not what it's about. It's about this guy being so excited that he's willing to give up something little to get something even bigger. Dallas Willard says this, the self-denial that Jesus calls us to is always the surrender of a lesser, dying, petty, futile self for a greater, eternal one. And I have that on the slide and on the notes. There it is. The self-denial that Jesus calls us to is always the surrender of a lesser, dying, petty, futile self for a greater, eternal one. When we can understand that the, what Jesus is calling us to is the surrender of lesser and dying and petty. The problem is, as humans on the kingdom of earth, those are the things we try to hold on to. Why? Why are we holding on to the petty things and the small-minded things and the lesser things and the self things when what he's offering us is so much greater and eternal? You know, this happened before. There was a group who gave up everything so they could join his kingdom. They gave up their possessions. They gave up their families. They gave up their securities, and they did it with joy. They did it high-fiving each other and belly-bumping each other because they couldn't believe that they were the ones. They were the ones who got to be part of this, that this was happening to them. They couldn't believe it, so they did it with joy. It was a place where the rich and the poor got along, where slaves and free, where Jews and Gentiles, men and women, dogs and cats, Democrats and Republicans. Because those things don't matter anymore in his kingdom. So I wonder about, and I have friends who, um, pastor friends, who were talking to me about Democrat or Republican. They're talking to me about both sides. And some of them are like, well, I'm telling my church this and I'm telling my church this. And I always feel so weird about it because I'm like, well, I'm telling my church about the kingdom of God where those things don't matter because it's in his kingdom that we have to put those things aside. Listen, if our church, along with every church, joined into this kingdom of God in, in a radical way, 
then you would begin to see the nation change into what it should be. If we would. The problem is, is we begin to hold on to the kingdom of earth things. We've got to learn to let the kingdom of earth things go and join with the kingdom of God things. Luke said in Acts chapter 2, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. That's what the early church looked like. That's what the birth of the church was. This is God's plan that we are so transformed from the inside out that other people will see that and be willing to do anything to be a part that we would give up everything in our lives to be a part of this kingdom that he came to establish on this earth. And that out of that, little communities will spring up and introduce their world to others. The kingdom of God then begins to break into places like Walmart and your work and the license office and your home. And his kingdom goes everywhere. And here's my question, and I'm going to move on to the next thing. If this were happening, then why aren't the doors of our church being broken down by people who want to be a part? If this were happening, why isn't there a CNN and a Fox News truck in our parking lot wondering what in the world is happening at that little church in Lantana? I think that we've got to do a better job of presenting his kingdom than we have been doing. I think we've got to understand what his kingdom is and learn to take that everywhere we go so that every person, when they, and this is the thing, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. That's a kingdom of God principle. When somebody um, bows up, do you guys understand bows up? That's a country term that we used to use. Like they bow up, they bow up their chest. They want to you know, puff up at you. Now, when I was younger, I'd bow back. One of the things I used to say was you better bow down. <laughs> I still tell my kids that. Better bow down. You don't know what you're doing. Um, our tendency and the kingdom of earth's tendency is to bow back up. We're going to we'll fight. Oh, you're going to flip me off while you're driving down the road. Oh, yeah. Watch this. I'm going to cut you off. Right? Like it's, it's a natural thing. What Jesus is asking us to do and what the kingdom of God is, is very anti-carnal nature. It's against our nature. But as we draw closer to him and as we understand his kingdom, all of a sudden we can turn the other cheek. We don't have to retort in response. We can love people no matter what their views. We can love people no matter what their opinions. It's all about his kingdom. Let's move on. I want to talk about boundary markers. We've missed the boat on what it means to have a transformed life. Let me rephrase that. I don't think we've missed the boat. I think, we've, I think we need to understand better. And we need to get to the place where we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. I'm doing a, I don't know if I hadn't, maybe I've said it a time or two, but I, I've started a program called, um, a, my, a doctoral program. And as part of that program, I'm, oh my word, so much reading, so much reading. So, but it's been pretty neat for me because I'm exploring how does 
spiritual formation influence our ability to lead. Okay, who we are as leaders. And every person has influence over somebody. So every person here is a leader to somebody. So spiritual formation means it is uh, being re restored to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So we're being restored to his image. I've talked about that a little bit before, but who is God? God is love. So we're being restored into this image of love that God created us in Adam and Eve originally, humanity. And that distorted image is being restored into his likeness. That should make us leaders into his kingdom. Am I making sense? Like, so everything about us should cry, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, follow me. This is what his kingdom looks like. This is what love looks like. This is how love reacts. This is what love does. Everything about us. So I don't think we've missed the boat. I just think we need to better understand what that transformed life looks like. What, what does spiritual formation look like in your life? Because every person who says they're a follower of Christ is on a spiritual formation journey. It, just where are you in that journey? We've reduced the gospel from what it means to have up there come down here to the minimum entrance requirements of heaven. This is what Jesus talked about so much. So I want to look at Romans and some ancient biblical scholarship that's going on. Um, a, a guy named uh, James Dunn wrote a book, a commentary on the book of Romans. And in this commentary, he calls out something that sociologists call boundary markers. And he says that the rabbis of Jesus' day took the law, 613 laws, right? Took all of the law and they reduced it to three things. Three things. Circumcision, dietary law, and Sabbath keeping. So they reduced all of the law into those three things. It's very curious that they would do that, right? But, but read through it again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through that and see what they were obsessed with and why it, it, these three things, even though they knew that the heart of the law was not those three things. Um, if you want to know the heart of the law, read Deuteronomy 6. It starts out this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you should love him with your heart and with your soul and your mind and your strength. We know that. That's one. And then if you read Leviticus, the Levitical law talks a lot about loving your neighbor as yourself. And when they came and said, Jesus, tell us what the most important commandment is. What did he say? Well, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Going back to Deuteronomy 6. And then Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. These two are the more. He even says all of the law can be summed up in those two things, all of it, 613 laws. The rabbis are saying, wait a minute, Pharisees and Sadducees, look, we see the law summed up in three things, dietary law, Sabbath keeping, and circumcision. But that's not the heart of the law. So why did they focus on those three things? And that's where James Dunn comes in. He says, boundary markers. All right, so to help you understand boundary markers, let's take a look just for a minute. Uh, all groups tend to be exclusive in their use of boundary markers. It just lets us know who's in and who's out, who's a member and who's not. It, it might be the way you comb your hair. It might be what you eat. 
It might be where you live or what clothes you wear or what shoes you wear. I'm trying desperately to find a pair of Air Jordan 1s right now <laughs> that I can afford. But we all have boundary markers. All of us. Here's some examples. Let's say in the 1960s, some of you guys will remember this. Somebody pulls up next to you in a VW van and they have stickers all over it that say, make love, not war, and give peace a chance, long straight hair and bare feet and sunglasses. You would know they're a, a hippie, right? That's a hippie. All right, what about this? In the 80s, ooh, the roaring 80s. Somebody pulls up next to you in a BMW and their hair is carefully moosed. They're wearing a Rolex watch with some Gucci shoes. They just came from a wine and brie tasting party. They might be a yuppie right on. You guys are good at this game. All right, what about bikers? Their favorite color is and their favorite uh, fabric? Leather. Yeah, you guys got it. Boundary markers. That's what boundary markers are. So why then did the rabbis focus on the three wrong things? Because they were boundary markers. It was easy with these external things to identify who was in and who was out. How do you recognize what a follower of Jesus is then? How are you going to recognize that? Really, this gets to what the kind of people we want to become. What kind of people do we want to be known as at Lantana Community Church? Who do we want to be? Jesus had boundary markers. You'll find this interesting. In Luke chapter 10, a rabbi comes and says, what's the most important law? I just told you. Sometimes I write these things and then, you know, I get out of order, but that's okay. We'll do it again. Jesus says, he says, what's the most important thing? Jesus says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus created boundary markers. But this is not a boundary marker that's easy to identify. These aren't external things. This is a person's heart. You see, when someone loves God and they love people, then they are kingdom of God people. At the end of the day, all we have to do is turn our hearts towards God and love and we're in. That's so hard to understand. It's hard for us to understand because the church even has boundary markers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, I love the way the message says it, but do not have love. I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. John says it's stronger. The person who refuses to love does not know God because God is love. So you can't know God because you don't know love. Now think about that for a minute. If we don't love, then we cannot know God. Wow. I bet you there's a lot of people in church this morning. I don't think here. There's a lot of people in church all over this world this morning that would say they are followers of God. But they don't know God. Because if we don't love, then we don't know God. That's what John says. If you, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see all of the times, most of the time, that Jesus gets into conflict is over dietary law, 
circumcision and Sabbath keeping. So many times. In fact, it's really interesting. You should go watch this series, uh, the TV series, um, The Chosen, about Jesus' life. It's really interesting. Um, I've found it to be really good, The Chosen. And in there they get it because all of the time, not all the times, but most of the time, it's over one of the things, dietary law, Sabbath keeping, or circumcision. That's what he's getting in conflict about. But a church has boundary markers. See, this is hard for us because we want to also be able to identify who's following Christ, right? We want to know. We want to see. Did you come to church? Do you go to Sunday school? Do you have a home group? What ministries are you involved in? Did you help it uplift food and diaper distri uh, distribution yesterday? Or did you um, help with Rescue Hill? Or did you, like we, we draw these lines. Now listen, you should be doing those things. But that doesn't determine who's in and who's out. But there's an argument that could be made if we're loving Christ and we have this desire to love others. It's going to come out somehow. And at our church, we want to have outlets for ways that we can show that love to other people. That's why we do the ministries that we do. But the church has boundary markers. And, and this is what we do. Let me go through some of these boundary markers. Um, they're not all the same, but you'll recognize some of these. Churches, boundary markers. Um, some churches, no makeup for women. Remember that? I guess guys too in that case. No instruments. Uh, women can't wear pants. Guys can't have long hair. Women can't cut their hair. No drinking. No music. Just different, right? Some of these sound familiar to you guys as different boundary markers that churches have established to, to determine who's in and who's out. I guess as a church we decided if we can't be holy, at least we'll be weird. I'm going to tell you right now that these things do not make you holy. But if God convicts you about one of these things and you follow them, then you're holy. If God convicts you about one of these things and you don't follow, then that's a sin against God. See, it's, it's how, do we, how do we qualify, quantify? How do we quantify that? How do we decide that? How do we, do, do we make a list? We've tried making lists, obviously. But that still doesn't determine who's in and who's out. But it lets me see. I will say that out of a pure heart, a right life comes. Your life will look right if your heart is pure because the Holy Spirit resides there. There was a Russian monk named Rasputin who said, um, I always found this story interesting. He wanted to see God's grace increase in his life, so he went out and lived a very unholy life. That's the opposite of what God wants. If you have a relationship with God and your heart is, is pure and you're holy in here, then you will look like it. And so, honestly, th this is a, a side thing. I'll wrap up. Five minutes. Five minutes will be done. As a side note, I've had people come to me and try to convince me that they're following Jesus. I'm like, hey, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't know your heart. Jesus, in another place, calls it a circumcision of the heart. I don't know your heart. I don't know what your heart looks like. 
I mean, I can see what your life looks like, and your life doesn't tell me that. But I'm not, like, God's got it. That's between you and God, man. I mean, Jesus says that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. Like, if you're not living right, you know it. It doesn't matter what I think. We did a, I work out, Cerise and I, CrossFit. As that's, that's what our exercise. And so they had, we had a competition yesterday. And um, it's a funny story I get. But Cerise ended up taking first in the women, by the way. Awesome for her. Congratulations. Um, I ended up taking third. I was cheated. <laughs> and the guys, just going to throw that out there. So I was talking with uh, Morgan, who's my 14-year-old, and I was telling her last night, and I was like, I was cheated, and I, look, I'm looking at the points, and I should have at least gotten second, because my points are more than, I don't know, and she said, are you trying to convince me, or, <laughs> like, and, and this morning I'm saying this, I'm reminded of that, because, you know, it doesn't matter if she believes me or not. The truth is the truth. Whatever happened is what happened. I mean, what happened is, I beat like 99% of the other athletes, but it's those, those last two guys that I didn't beat that really annoys me. <laughs> That's what happened. I got third place. Am I following Christ or not? That's, you can't see my heart. But one day God's going to look at it and say, either welcome home or depart from me because I never knew you. All right, so the Sabbath is a good thing, right? But in the law, they came up with 39 different ways to get mechanical and legalistic about it. And then they begin to think they were better than other people, which is what happens in the church. Oh, well, I go to every Sunday school class. I go to every uplift. I go to every, I don't see you at all those. I got to be better. That's what they did in the, with the Sabbath. Jesus didn't say to quit doing it. He didn't say quit doing the Sabbath. He just was asking, how does it make me a better follower? How is it shaping my heart? Not does this make me better than other people. Jesus' hope for you and me is not that we learn to observe the rules better than anybody else, but that we can become, not that we become more religious, but that we become closer to him. Not to observe the rules better, but to give him more of our heart. And I've heard people say, hey, I want to have, um, I want to be closer to God. Like I want more of God is what they'll say. I want more of God. Listen, every bit of God is available to you right now. It's not like he's going to give you any more. He's going to give you all that you want. Don't say I want more of God. Say, God, I want you to have more of me. All right, so here it is, conclusion. What if Jesus was right? What if the Spirit of God is like a river that's flowing all the time and, and your job is not to get up earlier or to try harder or to run faster? What if God is at work all the time in every place already? And your job is to find the rhythm or the flow of what God is doing and figure out a way to stay in God's movement. This way of life has much less to do with doing things right now and more to learn to harmonize with God's song and hear what he's doing and harmonize with it. I'm going to show you a video now. It's a video by Rob Bell who has a series of videos called NUMA and he talks about what it means to get in rhythm with this kingdom of God life. So I want to wrap up by 
uh, saying just a minute or two of this. God, I hear a song. It's a song that moves me. It has a melody and it has a groove. It, it has a certain rhythm. And people have heard this song for thousands and thousands of years across continents and cultures and time periods. People have heard the song and they've found it captivating and they've wanted to hear more. Now, there have always been people who say there is no song and, and who deny the music, but the song keeps playing. And so, Jesus came to show us how to live in tune with the song, like that he's the way and the truth and the life. This isn't a statement about one religion being better than all the other religions. I mean, the last thing Jesus came to do was start a new religion. He came to show us reality at its most raw. He came to show us how things are. I mean, Jesus is like God and taking on flesh and blood. And so in his generosity and in his compassion, that, that's what God's like. In his telling of the truth, that's, that's what God's like. In his love and forgiveness and sacrifice, that's, that's what God's like. That's who God is. That's how the song, that's how the song goes. song is playing all around us all the time. The song is playing everywhere. It's written on our hearts and everybody is playing the song. See the question, the question isn't whether or not you're playing a song. The question is, are you in tune? Like it's written in the book of Acts. It says that God gives us life and breath and everything else. God is generous. So when I'm like selfish and stingy and I refuse to give, I'm essentially out of tune with the song. Later, in one of John's letters, he says that God is love. Unrestrained, unconditional love. So when you see somebody sacrifice themselves for another, for the well-being of somebody else, it's like, they're playing in the right key. That's why it's so inspiring and powerful. They're in tune with the song. Now, some people know all sorts of stuff about music. They know stuff about pitch and modes and keys and instruments. And so they, they can hear things that maybe other people don't. They, they hear subtlety and nuance in, in the song that other people might miss. They appreciate things others might miss, but it's also possible to be so caught up in the technical aspects of the song that you miss the simple, pure enjoyment of the song. I mean, there are people who talk as if they know everything about being a Christian, and yet they can seem way out of tune. And then there are others who would say they don't know much at all about the Christian faith, and, and yet they can seem very in tune with the song. I mean, I've met lots of people who struggle with what it means to have a relationship with God, but they haven't lost faith and love and hope 
truth and compassion and justice and generosity. I mean, maybe you have this, this sense like you have no sort of relationship with God because of all these things, these ideas you have about what that means, all these things that you've been told about what it is or, or what it isn't. And an infinite, massive, kind of invisible God, that's, that's hard to get our minds around. But truth, love, grace, mercy, justice, compassion. The, the way that Jesus lived, I can see that. I, I can understand that. I can relate to that. I can play that song. That's good, isn't it? A song is happening. You know, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with being more religious. Uh, we're finding that these arbitrary boundary markers make us feel better about ourselves, but that's not what Jesus came to do. What if we got up every morning and we said, God, let what happens up there happen down there. Let your kingdom come in me. Let me get caught up in your song, caught up in your spirit and what he is doing today. God, keep me in the rhythm and the flow of your grace. And here's the thing. There was a place where this happened once, where a community got caught up in the rhythm of God, living in God's kingdom. You could throw them in jail and they would convert the jailer. You would whip them and they would sing songs. You could tell them to be quiet and they would tell about his kingdom all the more. You would starve them and they would give their resources away to the community. You could persecute them and they would be happy that they were considered worthy to be persecuted for Jesus Christ. You would hate them and they would love you back. You would exclude them and they would invite you in. You would kill them and a hundred more would rise up to take the place of those who were dead. How do you stop something like that? What can you do about that? That is what happened when the church was born. It wasn't because they were really religious people or they figured out a way to, to do rituals better, but they found something in the song of God that caused them so much excitement that lit their fire that they ended up changing the earth. There's an author named Brian McLaren and, and he wrote this. Think of a song that comes to you somehow from somewhere. At first, you may catch a note here or there, a phrase, and it may sound strange, but once you really hear it, once you pick it up, once it finds its way into your soul and begins to play there, it feels so familiar, so natural that you wonder if you haven't made it up yourself. Yet the song's splendor and grandeur and mystery convince you that its origin lies beyond your own imagination. You find yourself humming the song, tapping your finger to it, whistling it, and you wonder, where did this come from? Who wrote this song? How did it get into my head? And so the kingdom of God comes to you and to me, not like a command, I mean, excuse me, a commercial on the radio or a TV or a political slogan in a campaign or a scientific formula in a classroom, but like a song, it sneaks up on you and then it sneaks inside of you and somewhere on your journey through life, you begin to hear this music where music captures your heart with its rhythm, its melody, its ambiance, and its glory. And as you begin to move to its rhythm, you enter the dance. And over time, your whole life begins to harmonize to the song. Its rhythm awakens you. 
Its tempo moves you. And so you resonate with its tone and flow and, and its melody. And the lyric gradually convinces you that the entire world was meant to share in this song with this message, with its joy, with its dance. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how God's moving in you. I don't know if you've ever heard this song. I don't know if it's a song that you sing regularly. I don't know if you hear the rhythm of God or if you move with it. But if we would be a group of people who would take his kingdom with us, then we've got to hear the song. Then we've got to know. So I would encourage you this morning, we're going to sing a, a closing song and just make that your prayer this morning. God, help me to hear your song. Last week I asked you, and I hope you did this, last week I asked you to find somebody and take the kingdom of God to them. This week I'm saying throughout the week, make your prayer. God, let me hear your song. Let me harmonize with your song that's what I want and I want to teach other people that song also God this morning as we get ready to wrap this up I just pray that you would be with us teach us to harmonize with your song there is a song that's already being sung we want to sing it with you God teach us to take it everywhere we go your kingdom in Jesus name we pray amen